The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On this week's episode, our food guests are Tammy Rofe and Felipe Donnelly, husband and wife team behind the beloved Colonia Verde in Fort Greene and the newly opened Disco Tacos in Williamsburg. In the summer of 2020, they wanted to bring a moment of joy during a stressful time and open Disco Tacos, a food truck with disco music and vibrant neon colors. One year later, after countless tacos served all over New York, the food truck transitioned to a full-service restaurant in the heart of Williamsburg, which just opened a few weeks ago. Later in the show, we go back into our archives with a performance from the band Big Bliss. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Uh, we have a really special episode today, possibly one of the most Snacky Tunes guests that we've had in a long time. Uh, we've got Tammy Rofe and Felipe Donnelly of Colonia Verde and Disco Tacos calling in from Bed-Stuy and Williamsburg, respectively. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank, thank you for thank having us. Thank you so us. much. It's an uh, honor being here. Appreciate it. Yeah, let's go back a little bit. Uh, we're not going to go all the way back to the beginning because we've got a lot to cover. But you two got your start, what seems in like the heyday of the Loft Dinner Party series, which we participated <laughs> in. And it seemed like everyone was like a pop-up chef. Uh, not everyone went on to the accolades and you know brick and mortars that you did. But give us a little insight to the halcyon days of your pop-ups how it got started what you were serving and and if anything is still kind of in the repertoire of your restaurants I today it. i mean i love i love that you are calling it the loft um like based on the love from disco the, the early disco days and i never thought about it about it that way which is really really fun and i think it was that i think it was for the outcasts that couldn't really get either the financial backup to start something legit or uh, the accolades to start something like legit, like a brick and mortar. And it was all these people that were like just testing it out, seeing if, you know, if this could be a thing. And, and, and you're right. Happening everywhere. Like Harlem, we were in um, Worth Kitchen. That's why it was called Thursdays at Worth. Um, so right at the cusp of between Chinatown and Tribeca. And I think they were happening uh pretty much everywhere in the city um in different like uh with different foods but ours ours was you know just us testing i mean felipe do you wanna uh, do you wanna yeah i mean i think it was i think it was really just uh, the ability to take yourself out of um a place uh especially us being in tribeca uh and in in downtown manhattan if you will um Take yourself out of a place where food has been taken so seriously, um, and and uh, it is a it is a hundred percent a staple of especially during that time of two thousand eight two thousand nine uh, through two thousand eleven when when we really started this. Um, but it was a time in which you know food is definitely a, a centerpiece of Manhattan culture, um, and we we kind of took the the opportunity to not take ourselves too seriously and just say, hey, look, this is what we're doing. Let's give this a shot. Not worrying about criticism, not worrying about what other people thought, not worrying about Yelp reviews, not worrying about, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the the food critics at the moment. Uh, we're just really just giving it our all and, and, and sometimes not even giving it our all, just like we, you know, holy shit, I have one hour to dinner time. Let's see what I can do. Um, and it was it was that ability or that kind of that uh, that, that freedom as well um, that was a ton of fun. I think it's also the idea like I didn't go to culinary school and I needed a way to start cooking and start um, playing around with ingredients and start figuring out what the hell uh, what the hell it is to, to to cook honestly to to really get in there. What led to the decision to go from pop-up you know did to brick and mortar did you feel that you had finally learned enough that you were like okay we can take some risk now we care about yelp reviews now we care about critics now we're willing to go a little bit more serious like what was the decision to be like 
fuck it, let's just get on the wheel and we're going to, we're going to go for it. What, what led to that? And, and what was the first restaurant you opened? Um, do we still care about Yelp reviews? Okay, fine. <laughs> Not Yelp reviews, but like, uh, you know, when, you know, you open yourself up for more yes. of the, the system. No. <laughs> I, well, so, I mean, we were really kicked off for us was, uh, that we, the health department showed up and served the <laughs> season disease papers. Like you're That'll serving public. So that'll do it. I mean, and, I think to that to that point, it was the health department and the fact that I got laid off from my regular job, my nine to five job, which was kind of like it was it was within the same month. It was just like getting my ass kicked twice in one month, and it was like, all right, this is we either do this legit or we or I you know or I need to start figuring life out now and quickly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it was a, it was a big uh, kick in the ass actually <laughs> that got us out of our apartment and into uh, a brick and mortar. Which I think, I mean, I we, we that's what we wanted. Like that's what we wanted eventually. Um, but you're never ready, you know. It's like having kids. You're never re- ready to really have a kid, you know. Like you can start with a plant or a dog or a cat, but like at some point you gotta just like jump. And like, just, just take the jump and do it. And what were some of the through lines from the pop-up that followed you into your brick and mortar? Hmm. Um, for sure. So the first restaurant was called Comodo. It was on uh, the intersection of McDougal and King Street. Um, so where today is uh, 12 Chairs is, is there. So we were there for, uh, for some five years. I think that what, what we brought from the pop-up um, the pop-up years was really the sense of um, flexibility. Eh? Like, I think that that was something that had we jumped in um, knowing essentially more about the industry and more how a restaurant works, we would have been much more scared of the idea of, of we can, Oh, that didn't work. All right. Tomorrow let's just try this and not, you know, like not take that so seriously. We were able to kind of roll with things quickly and, and change. Um, and that also, uh, it was with the food, it was with service, and it was also with actual physical space. Um, we kind of really dove into the idea of like, you know, coming home, if you will, in, in a sense. And that was that was one of our big pillars at the beginning of, of Comodo was like, we wanted to make it feel like home. Um, and sometimes it was an, an unfinished home, you know, uh, like our, our first few weeks, we didn't even have a door in the bathroom. We had to put up a shower curtain. <laughs> <laughs> um, our, 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 uh, our seating was our cushion seating wasn't finished until basically a month into us opening. And it was just one of those things like we had to roll with it. And there was a certain level of um, allowances that people were giving us because we were coming from that world and we were coming from a different angle than they were used to. And, and I think that um, that worked a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the yep. restaurant that I think everyone really knows you for uh, opened up 2014. You settled in Fort Greene, which is one of the greatest neighborhoods, um, Colonial Verde, which is just a fabulous restaurant, visited many times, um, beloved by, by many. Why, why Fort Greene and what was the evolution from, you know, the loft to the first restaurant to, to this now what I can call established restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were, I mean, we were into our first year at Comodo our, uh, at our first brick and mortar uh, restaurant. And we um, like you loved, always love for green. Like there's an energy to for green that it's undeniable. Um, 
all of Brooklyn has its like quirks and all the neighbors have neighborhoods have their thing, but there's really something about Fort Greene that's that's truly unique. And we just kept like coming back to it. And um, there was something about it that we just kept coming back, walk to the park, you know, visit a couple of uh, coffee shops, go for a drink. And in one of those walks, we just stumbled upon this big, bright orange sign and the and the um, the thing down the like it was closed, but okay. I had like the gate down, uh, right in the middle of Decal, which is such an amazing avenue because it feels like big city, but it also feels like very neighborhoody. Like I I really don't know any like street quite like it um because it's fast right philippe is like a fast like yeah yeah for sure it's, it's like, just three words like, a lot it. of traffic's going through <laughs> yeah. and, and yet you're still in the heart of a neighborhood 100 exactly yeah. exactly um and we were just sort of like something drew us to it and we're like we gotta find out more well, it's, it's something that drew us to it. it was a, that huge liquor store sign, and I think it was like there was a huge liquor store sign that was hanging off the edge of uh, uh, the side of the building at that at that moment, and that it drew, that drove us to the building. Um, and when we arrived, we see the orange sign, and we see the gates closed, and we see the butcher paper, which is kind of like the telltale sign of a closed restaurant. And we're like, "Well, this is interesting. Let's see what this is all about," you know, and. Um, and when we figured out and we found out the, the the landlord's telephone number and all that, we call him two days later. Uh, Tammy uh, was the one that walked into the space first. Um, it was that, that immediate guttural reaction of like, this is this is happening. This is the place. This is a really really special place. And and um, and that that's what you know. One thing led to another, and six months later, we were building out Colonia Verde. Mm-hmm. Which is incredible. And, you know, I don't want to cut the history short because we are actually here to talk about your newest endeavor, but it should be worth noting that two kind of very big moments from a James Beard nominated, but also your uh, Sunday Asado backyard. Can you talk a little bit about the Sunday Asado series? um, Who's cooked at it, um, how it got started and just how it's evolved into this incredibly sought after, oftentimes (laughs) sold out affair. Hell yeah! I mean, I think I think the SLs were this, this beautiful, um, this moment of uh, even the inspiration of when it happened and how it came about. Like, it's still kind of up for debate, um, even amongst us too. But it was um, definitely, for sure, was one of those moments of I by not going through culinary school and not going through the regular ropes of the industry, I lacked the um, opportunity to work with some some chefs amazing chefs, be be it or not. But uh, I lacked the opportunity to work at other restaurants and get inspired by by what other people were doing. Um, And so the idea came up of inviting, flipping it, right? Invite the chefs to come to the restaurant and uh, and let's learn, you know? Um, And that was kind of like that, you know, the cartoon light bulb moment on top of the head. And, And so a friend of ours kind of was just like, well, why don't you just start sending emails to like the chefs that you admire and would like to work with? And I was like, but they're not going to answer. It's like, well, you don't know they're not going to answer. Just start sending the emails and see what happens. And, uh, and essentially that's what we did, you know, and, and, and at the beginning, so many answered and it was, it was fantastic. So, you know, we've had an absolute um, pleasure of having some amazing chefs. 
um, local chefs. I guess we've had uh, Nick Ander, we've had uh, Chris McDade, we've had Alex Raj, we've had Fanny Gerson, uh, we had Alex uh, Rodriguez, we had Carolina Santos Neves, who was a part of our company before, and and now she's doing her own thing. Um, so we've had some awesome New York chefs. We've had amazing chefs from Mexico join us. Uh, Alfredo Villanueva, Gerardo Vasquez Lugo, some guys from uh, from London. Uh, it's been it's been this awesome awesome trip that we've really just kind of embraced. And the idea of bringing chefs and just giving them a uh, a grill, and that's all you got. You don't have a fryer. You don't have it's, all you have is a grill. And many of these chefs, uh, you know. They're, they're either Michelin starred or, or highly recognized or whatnot to give them this thing. And they're just, they're used to more like, where's the rest? And sometimes it's like throwing them off of their comfort zone. And that's where the fun is. That's for me is like really where that, that, that part of, uh, of doing something different comes out. And they're always, they always enjoy it. And the chefs enjoy it uh, so, so much. And the people really like, as you said, and, and thank you for 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 for, for saying that, um, because we've you know we definitely created something that uh, that we've loved to to bring into the community and to bring into the people, and and, and at the end of the day, it's they're the one that makes it. You know, the, the people sitting around and enjoying the food and 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 talking to us and bringing us mezcales and doing all that fun stuff is they're they're the one that make it. It's it's a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, creativity mm-hmm. always comes from constraints. Uh, I, one one yeah. question before we take a, a quick break. Um, it's just interesting listening to your story and how easy it would be for you both to be racked with imposter syndrome. It, it could be so simple to say like <laughs> that, you know, we... <laughs> We didn't do this. So uh, I'm curious because I, I highly doubt that you did not face this, um, but how did you face it? And then how did you overcome it as just a lesson for other people who don't maybe have the professional training, but have the passion that can help them carry it through? <laughs> so true. Every morning for me, for you too, right, Felipe? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's... Um... The idea, I think it just goes back to the idea of what creativity is. Um, and yes, there and there are a lot of people that, that um, originality is the core of, um, of creativity. Um, and I, I agree with that. But at the same time, I agree that inspiration is the core of creativity. And you don't get originality without inspiration. Um, and I think that that's definitely... For me, essentially, has been always one of the, the, the hallmarks of, of how it works. Um, I find what somebody did, I try to replicate it, and in the replication process, you find the twist. You do, you start doing something else. You start going in a different direction, and you end up with a completely different product. Um, and I think that's that's really where where I, I stem off of. And I think that's kind of also just the idea of of how I started to learn. Um, cooking in general was was through that was that was how I did it from day one was um, replicating what somebody else was doing taking it and then taking it in a completely different direction mm-hmm. amazing all right we're gonna take a quick musical break play a song for our from our archives and then we're gonna be back to talk about disco tacos which I just can't wait Come back down, I'm too burnt out 
Everyone knows that the last 18, 19 months have been difficult. Uh, food industry has been ransacked, to say the least. Uh, but 
if anything, it's shown how creative, adaptable, innovative the restaurant industry has been to what is Herculean uh, obstacles. Talk to me about Disco Tacos. It was started Mm -hmm. not recently, but at the height of the pandemic, uh, as you said, to bring moments of joy. Uh, Tell me about it, inspiration, and how it all began. For sure. So, I mean, the the reality, the the, the origins of Disco Tacos started with uh, actually a taco truck, a food truck that we had um, that kind of like was created to show up at weddings. We do, we have a catering company called Comparti, and we wanted to sort of replicate this Mexican wedding experience that you get that is just so particular, but like incredibly fun. That is when you're like after dancing and drinking a lot of mezcal and tequilas and everything at like around five in the morning, mariachi show up and chilaquiles, right? It's like it's like the second wind, like the second round. And the disco tacos truck was set out to that, like to pull up at weddings really late in the night, late night bites, you know, big music, fun music and get you know, get the gears going again. And uh, when the pandemic happened, we um, we were already headquartered at uh, National Sawdust, where our catering kitchen is over at Williamsburg. Uh, National Sawdust is an independent music venue. It's incredible. It's always pushing um, new music, uh, young musicians, you know, trying their own boundaries uh, at it of all genres of music. And right attached to it was, you know, we did their food and wine uh, sort of thing. And when the pandemic happened, we just started like pulling up the truck up front and playing music and selling tacos. So, cause we, there were obviously no weddings happening for that whole year. And we realized that people like needed that and were like really reacting to it and really vibing to it. So we turned it into a brick and mortar that now lives within the National Sala structure. Um, so that's those are sort of the roots uh, of it. Um, and now, like serendipitously looking at it, like, and we talk about it all the time, like, what a great time for disco tacos to exist, you know? I mean, like talking about like just the roots of disco and um, how that all began, how, how that all began in the city in a city that needed, you know, a little bit more escapism, a little bit more fun, a lot of shit happening, but also like a liberation of inclusivity and expression and freedom to be like, you know, if you couldn't get into Studio 54, like where would you go? You would go to the loft, you would go to like all these, the Paradise Garage, like all of these other clubs that were so much more open to minorities, gays, uh, you know, anyone that felt like they couldn't fit in. So all of this mesh of things that are actually happening today, like uh, what a great time to be, you know, uh, to to be as Disco Tacos. And we call it like unadulterated fun, fun. Like everything has been so politicized. Everything has been so like criticized. And like, it's just, a, it's just, going back to the fun of like eating and drinking and dancing and mm-hmm. uh, all of that. So we're, we're excited of what's to come. It's still a baby. It's like, 
two months, right? Like we opened up two months ago. So we're still um, figuring out what it means to be in Williamsburg and the way that we are and what it means to be in Fort Greene, totally different neighborhood. Uh, we're loving it. We're loving that process. And we're, we're, we're happy to be alive during this mission during this time of New York. I mean, let's talk about the menu a little bit. Um, you know, we'll get to the tacos, but first and foremost, you had to have disco fries. Um, it, it seemed like a, an easy, an easy one. Uh, what went into the dish and, and what kind of, as you said before, Felipe, like, what did you see? What did you try to copy? And what, what was your twist? Um, yeah, yeah. It was, so without, without copying, without talking about the tacos just yet, but I think, I think when, when it came to disco fries, it was one of those things that it was, uh, with with our third business partner who was missing in action during this this recording, which is Mac, um, he was really the one who's like, well, of course we need to do. Uh, well, I was uh, we need to do a queso because queso is so much fun and delicious, um, and not Mexican at all. <laughs> um, and uh, and he's like, well, let's just do disco fries and pour some queso on top of the fries. And it was kind of that moment of like, of course that's what we're going to do. Like it was like it's not even an, an argument. Like of course that's what we need to do, and it's going to happen. And 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 it's like. It was the easiest and the fastest decision that we've ever come to in, 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 in this in this relationship. It was just like, yep, next, let's go. Um, it's it's fun. It's easy. It is absolutely craveable, and that's always what we go for. It's just kind of like that craveability of like you're pouring a bunch of queso on top of fries. Yeah, that's that sounds that sounds like it's it's right. Let's go with that. <laughs> I mean, and also absolutely delicious, but okay, let's talk about the tacos. Uh, you know, it's such a wide, a wide range and options to go, to go through. Um, but what was the inspiration and like, what are you serving that sets it a little bit apart and kind of pulls on this like wedding after party vibe? So tacos for me has always been, um, amongst many, many things has always kind of been certain, uh, it's been a little bit sacred. Because I grew up with him. And then the way that I think I always grew up with him, and that, that was a moment that I had my moment of Zen with the taco, was um, it was always a after party thing. Like every single time we were coming out of the bar or a club in Mexico, it was just like, well, let's get some tacos. And you're partially drunk or extremely drunk, whichever one it is. Um, but it, the tacos were always the essence. And that's really um, what I wanted to bring. It was have some really good tacos. Um, but let's not stick on the tradition. Let's not stick on the birria. Let's not stick on to the cochinita pibil. Let's do something that's fun. It's different. It's unusual. Um, it's not something that you're going to be, you're going to be seeing throughout the taquerias in, in the city or, or at this point, honestly, um, many of the, you know, your go-to standard, uh, traditional authentic taquerias in, even in Mexico city. Um, but there is an essence to them that I've seen throughout, uh, throughout, me growing up in, in Mexico. Uh, I guess to start, the first and foremost is the tortilla, right? So the tortilla is is of absolute essence. Um, and we're getting some of the best tortillas uh, that we have available to us. So it's the, the best nixtamalized masa coming out of um, uh, Sobre Masa that's like five blocks away from us. Um, and we're also getting the flour tortillas that are coming out of, uh, from Vista Hermosa, which is Tacombi's, uh, flour tortillas, which are just freaking phenomenal. So if we're starting off with the right foundation, whatever you put in there, you're going to end up with something really good, you know? And, and that's kind of really where, where, we, where we, we land and, uh, and whatever we do with those tacos is just have fun. Um, we have, 
la gringa, which is a uh, taco that I've I loved when I when I was growing up in Mexico, because who calls who calls a taco la gringa? Um, and it's essentially cheese with uh, with uh, carnitas inside. Um, and what we do is we put them on the flat flat top of the cheese down and get it nice and crispy. So we got crispy cheese with the carnitas and the flour tortilla, and it's just it's just really good and it's unexpected and it's not it's not the usual typical thing that you're going to get anywhere else. So I think that's that's a, that's a fun part of it. Amazing, and it's not just paired, you know, with great music. It's also paired with two of my favorites, natural wine and mezcal. Probably yeah. two of the most alive things that you can consume, besides maybe kombucha, which might be a secret <laughs> addition. Um, what are some of the more adventurous mezcals and natural wines that you're serving? So I think I'll, the, the mezcal, uh, it's fun because Tammy and I split on that. So I do the mezcal and Tammy does the wine. She's phenomenal in the wine. Um, with the mezcal, it's, it's really just it's just playing into um, what is what is constantly coming out of Oaxaca and, and, and Mexico uh, throughout. Um, right now, the fun things that we have is, for instance, like one of the really fun bottles that we're drinking right now is a uh, Cinco Sentidos um, uh, Ensemble, which is a mix of four different agaves, including um, including a cucharilla, which is usually what we use for sotol. Uh, so it's like a sotol mixed mezcal, and it's fucking glorious. It's so funky and weird and delicious. It's It's something really, really fun. So yeah, it's playing with mezcal is is great, and then and as you say, it just blends in so well with natural wine. Um, that's all. That's all, Tammy. Mm. Tammy, what is your yeah, favorite glass wine, that you're pouring? Um, ah, oh, I love all my babies the same. But I mean, I I love. I mean, I'm excited to 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 show natural wine next to tacos because. It to me is like the perfect pairing. Like it really is. Like it's a no brainer. Like with the freshness and the acidity, and um, it's just wonderful. And right now we're pairing um, Symphondel from Purity uh, out in uh, Sierra Foothills in California, and it's just wonderful because Symphondel with all the fruit and all the spice, but like done in a natural way that's like more pure and fresh and lighter, lighter in alcohol. It's just so wonderful with like carnitas and um, all the tacos that, you, that, that we have. Um, so that's a really fun one. Um, we have uh, the Statera Pet Nut, which is a Chardonnay from uh, Oregon. Meredith Bell, who's sort of obsessed with uh, Chardonnay, actually grew up in Oregon and left to Burgundy because she was like, I'm in Oregon. I should learn how to make Pinot Noir. <laughs> and she went and she learned and then she was like, wait. Chardonnay is the story. Like Chardonnay is incredible because you can pick up on terroir. And she comes back and does a whole project on uh, Chardonnay from dif- different terroirs. And now she's doing a pet nut out of Chardonnay from uh, Oregon. And it's just so like textural and um, chalky and uh, full of, uh, of freshness. And it's just wonderful with our our fish taco and our, our shrimp tacos and it's it's very fun. It's good. And you know, the last thing that we need to touch on is the music. Uh, who is curating the playlist? What can we expect to hear? And tell me a little bit about the Sunday spin days as well. For sure. So Sunday spin days. Uh, it's actually like uh, just our way to uh, bring in DJs that want to give 
sort of like the loft of music, but of of DJing. Like we're not going for like the big star DJs. We're going for people who just want to like give it a spin on a Sunday and see how it goes. Maybe invite a friend and and try it out, uh, which is really fun because it makes it more spontaneous, more, more, you know, like experimental, which is what disco should be. Um, and what's fun is that they, while they're like, you know, we're interacting with them before they play on a Sunday, they share with us our, our playlist. So like our playlist is being curated by all these different like DJs that are, you know, gonna join us for spin day. And also by uh, the staff from National Salas, because we have like this incredible resource that we're like housed in this like music venue that of people have incredible taste. And and, and National Salas is like, it's, it's sort of like, it has like a seriousness to it because it is about like uplifting voices that, you know, and, and maybe like lifting up styles of music that we're not used to. But all of these musicians want to have fun. Like they have this, like this side that they just want to like do a playlist for tackles, you know, for disco. So I think it brings out this like lighthearted side to the people over at National Sawdust. And it also gives an opportunity for people to want to give it a shot, DJing, uh, you know, to give it a spin on Sunday with us and, and just have fun with the neighborhood and see how it goes. Amazing. Uh, well, I want to thank you both for joining us uh, for the show today. Where can people find you? How can they come and eat your tacos? Try to get into the the Sunday afternoons. Uh, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. So we, uh, you can find us at Disco Tacos is on eighty uh, eighty eightieth North. Uh, so North right. Now- <laughs> it's still new. 80th- it's still new. <laughs> It's still Ooh. here, 80 North 6th Street, Ooh. between White and Kent. <laughs> Easy location from the train. Easy location from the train. I'm going to just have you take it away, Felipe. Yeah. <laughs> um, all good. And then uh, we're on Instagram, uh, disco-tacos, and uh, at Colonia Verde. And um, all of our tickets are available on our website at coloniaverdenyc.com for the uh, Sunday Asados. Um, get on our newsletter. That's the best way that I can tell you to get the tickets. Uh, be the first to know and quickly. Um, and I hope to see you guys there. It's uh, it's a blast. See you there. See you at Disco Tacos and see you at Colonia Verde. Amazing. And Colonia Verde is located at 219 De Cal. Yeah. Amazing. It's for green. Perfect. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for joining us. Um, we are going to play another song from our archives and then we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on HRN. Rapture And 
It's been mighty hard getting down to you All night long I spent with the love of mine Here and after But baby, you're the one that's on my mind Cause all of my loves, they look the same as you And I don't know Tell no one The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. We cover avenues for accessing grants, loans, and financial services through federal and local government programs, as well as via nonprofits. We examine the benefits worker cooperatives present to workers, communities, and our food system, and share resources to learn more about operating under this model. We're talking to business owners who started pop-ups and became permanent during the pandemic to see what we can learn. Don't miss these episodes. Subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to TD Bank for supporting this programming. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We have Big Bliss in house. Hey. Hey, hey. man. Hey. You want to go around the room and introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, we'll start with me. I'm Corey Race, and I play drums in a band called Big Bliss. <laughs> I'm Wallace. I play bass in a band called Big Bliss. I'm Tim, and I'm somewhere involved in, in Big Bliss, guitar, vocals. And just in case you missed it, Big Bliss is in is in studio. We are all Big Bliss. We're all, aren't we, aren't we Big Bliss. all? Aren't we all Big Bliss? Everybody's Big Everybody's Bliss together. Bliss. That's kind of that's kind of what we're going for. Yeah. I want everybody to be involved, you know? Um, That'd be great. Because people can't see the two of you. They might not realize that you're brothers. Yeah. Yes. This is your first project together, but you played in other bands before. Yes, many. 
many bands, but never before, uh, like, two, three years ago. I think it's when we started playing together. Yeah, not even, yeah, and we just were, like, writing songs for a minute, and he just kind of, like, talked me into it, like, kind of coaxed me into, um, like, writing songs together, because I was... I, I had been playing. I had been playing in bands for a while, and then stopped for a couple of years. Like when I moved to New York, and Corey played in a bunch of bands. But yeah, I think you know between the two of us, we've been playing, like uh, you know, like twenty five years or so together. Yeah. Like like you know, in separate bands, and never never did it together. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is the first one. And what was it that you couldn't find in other projects that you had to bring your brother in? Um, oh, that that's a. Unanswerable one, <laughs> really. But but uh, I'll do my best. Um, well, I I feel that I I could be more involved in the process, um, even though I suppose I was in other bands. But just since we were related, you know, it was felt like I wasn't just the drummer. Like I was actually a co-songwriter in this project. I mean, other projects. I ran before, you know, that was supposed to be the deal, but that didn't end up being the case, you know. So just if you're in a band with a family member, you know, it's either like insane competition or or you cooperate (laughs) really well. And for the most part, as far as music related stuff goes, I think we do cooperate pretty well. I mean, uh, sorry, just to add to that, I think it's important that, uh, I don't know, Corey and I, I, I kind of grew up listening to like better music than I normally would because of Corey kind of putting it on, you know, while I was playing like Nintendo 64 <laughs> or whatever, you know. Uh, that though. No, no, it was great. <laughs> Goldeneye rules. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, but we have we have a lot of like similar influences. So like you know when we like said we wanted to like kind of take cues from like you know late 70s, early 80s post punk, you know punk and stuff, and uh, take it in that direction. It just kind of clicked, you know. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Most bands are all pulling from different reference points because they mm-hmm. just grew up with different things. So yeah. h- how would you feel that... Is there any disparity between what you listen to and versus what you listen to, or was it you were just kind of listening to the same thing and that actually gives you a much more focus and you're not kind of softening it because you have the same I, reference I, point? I think it was close enough. I mean, obviously, we don't have exactly the same music taste, but um, we were pretty much coming from such a similar place that you know it, it was pretty focused on on what we wanted you know i mean we wrote a ton of songs like right away but two out of the maybe 10 we wrote a, we wrote we still play you know and ended up being keepers so th- there wasn't a lot of that bands i've been in before i feel it's a lot of like translating for the other members like like what you want to do and you have to give them a playlist and stuff and there's nothing wrong with that but with us it was just it was just kind of just straight you know Wallace, yeah. you're, you're nodding. Did you, did you get, Wallace had did you, to get a playlist. I got a playlist. What, what was on the playlist? And how did you get involved um, with the brothers? So I played in a band prior to this that was like Americana. And Tim happened to be at one of our shows. And we just got to chatting. And he was like, oh, I play with my brother, but we need a bass player. And I was like, oh, well. Because in this past band, I played guitar. And I was like, oh, I also play bass. Um and he was like, oh, well, do you want to play with us? Like, this is the kind of music we play. And then I was like, well, I'm not as familiar. And he was like, okay, here's a list of everything. Who was who was on? Just like a, a few. Um, that's it account. was like Joy Division, New Order. Um, maybe The Cure was on there. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. can't really remember. Oh, and then a lot sure. of like, actually, I feel like a lot of like more local bands, like you put... Um, Probably put Pill on there. Yeah. Probably Former Snacky Tune guests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great yeah, band. They're great. Um, so yeah, he was like, just listen to Maybe this and punk. start playing with a pick. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but the the, it, the funny part about that was that, um, well, I I met her at a show, but then I recorded her band's uh, her previous band's EP, and just it was like while we were talking in the studio or something, like you brought up that you'd played bass in high school, and in oh, like yeah, in like you know like her previous band Young Tides was this this like great uh, like Americana quartet thing, like beautiful songwriting and stuff, and I was really stoked on it, but for some reason I was just like I think you'll like make sense in this like post punk band we're trying to do, you know, like no or just like louder rock band, and I've never heard you play bass, and I don't know something, but we like talked her into it. And we were like, yeah, don't worry. We're going to play, like, you know, one show a month, maybe, at yeah. the most. You know, it's just going to be, like, a casual recording yeah. project. It's like, we'll and practice, like, once every two yeah. weeks. <laughs> Which it's that like. has changed severely <laughs> since since then. But we tricked her into it somehow. I don't know. When family works, you almost don't even need to have communication. You just kind of look at each other. Or you're just kind of coming from the same place. Um, how do you bring in a third member? Or have you picked up on the the language as well. Like playing with the two of them. Right. Just, I mean, you essentially, like when you, you know, you're raised by the same parents, um, you kind of come from a similar work ethic. It, a lot of the rules or the translations you talked about doesn't need to be translated. So are right. you done being translated to? Or? Yes. <laughs> For, I mean, I think so. I mean, there's some cases I think I do, but like I grew up with two older brothers, so I'm used to being around stinky boys <laughs> and no offense. Um, so it was really easy for me to, like, settle in, like, comfortably, I think. Can we hear a song? Yes. Yes. Yeah, this one is, uh, this one's called Surface, and uh, it is going to be on our upcoming LP that we are currently working on. Cool. Well, here we go live on Snacky Tunes.
you mentioned that it was just going to be a really kind of easy project, you know, practice once every couple of weeks, but you were named one of the hardest working bands in yeah. New York City. And I think it's like yeah. 150 shows, five tours in the last couple of years. Yeah, the last like, it, like from when we started playing, it's yeah, it's just like a little over two years. Well, no, it's about a year and a half from that count, you know, but mm-hmm. but we're also just kind of ballparking. We think there's probably more. It's like, you know. Yeah. We've, um, we've had yeah. a f- we've had a few of the hardest working bands on here, and it, and sure. the designation is like it has to be a proper venue, so like house shows or pop up things don't totally count. So it's uh, only the, official. Well, the, yeah. Oh, the, you mean the designation like on that website? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I mean, there's like tons of you know, I, I, it, it was like forty something on the website, and the, there's like you know a bunch that we played in New York that weren't there, and it's also like they don't they don't cover like the tour shows and stuff, and like so many of our friends that were on that thing, or so many of our friends in New York are touring so hard and just playing so much and the thing about every show at least for us is that there's like there's a practice before the show you know so that's like it's, it's kind of like a two-night involvement you know um, and there's also like writing practices and stuff in between that so we see each other a lot and I'm glad glad we get along and like each other <laughs> what what do you think kicked it from you know practice once every couple of weeks and like easy to playing all these shows and and going out so much I think um, we intentionally try to play as much as possible just to be added to more shows if you don't have any like leads to the venues you play enough of the venues to hear about you eventually and invite you there you know um i i think realizing once we realized that that's what pretty much what we had to do you know and it, we wanted to do it too you know it's just we wanted to play as much as possible it was a casual thing but i was in i was in two bands when we started and that band broke up so i had more time um, and it was just that there, there were venues we wanted to play at that probably weren't going to have us yet because we were brand new. So we played as many shows as possible to be able to play those venues. You well, know? What were the venues? Well, um, it was the first place we, we played. Grand Victory was the first place yeah. we played. And, and then we played Cake Shop a, a whole bunch. Oh, Cake Shop, R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I was actually just at the new reiteration. Oh, how is it? It's just weird. It's like yeah. upscale-ish kind of. It's I not s- It's not a venue, though, right? No, well. Or is it? I saw the like violin player playing wrong with the DJ, and I was watching it, and I go, huh. am I being judgy, or is this bad? And right. I was like, oh, I'm being judgy, and this is also bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got it. But like, I mean, I've been going there. I mean, I saw like Test Icicles play there like forever. Yeah, ago, yeah, and yeah. Just, like, it's like you couldn't recapture how rad it was down there for whatever. You know, there's something like fourteen dollars yeah. Jamesons, and so no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, totally. Well, I li- li- listen, I totally trust Andy, who was behind Cake Shop, and I think like yeah. you know, if he's behind this thing, it'll yeah. be it'll be super cool. He was like, he, I think our second show was at Cake Shop, ever. I, I think it was our yeah, second show, definitely. right? And and it was like it was really it was it was a nice experience, and and our first couple shows. We just, we, a lot of people responded really, really nicely and kind of surprised us. Like we were just kind of casually doing these shows. And, and I, I think we've, I think we've just kind of come to this, uh, this sort of realization that, you know, you're a band, you play shows, you know, that's, you get better when you do it. You know, you, you are, you're better as a band, you're tighter as, as people and as friends. And it, I think it's just like, you know, if that's what you set out to do, then you should go play shows. You should go play live. It'll, it'll only like help improve the thing there's so much uh there's so much pressure put on bands that's like you know to like to focus on your you know i hate this word to focus on your draw or whatever and like don't oversaturate and don't you know don't play too often mm-hmm. like you know like make sure you're bringing out you know all your friends and like your cousin still wants to come to every show or whatever <laughs> you know and like 
I don't know, man. I, I don't totally buy it. I think, like, you know, especially in a huge city like New York where there's so many good bands and, like, you know, you meet so many people. We've made so many good friends at these shows that it just feels like the thing we should be doing. So if we can play it and, like, it's with bands that we like, like, we'll, we'll fucking do it, you know? That's... I mean, I, re- I remember going growing up uh, right outside Philadelphia and the bands that I was friends with, they played every weekend. Like, no one had a problem. Right. I guess it was also a different time. Like, that's right. how you got the word out. I, I also think I agree with you that it's it's so crowded or you'll find bands whose image are super polished but then you see them play live and they can't play live right yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah. totally man totally I, I, and it's uh, I, mean, I mean it's just like a rewarding experience it's a nice opportunity for like positive or negative feedback or whatever it is you know um, and uh and I don't know. I mean, like, you know, you got to be able to play in a basement, in a bedroom, at, at a big-ass stage somewhere, you know? Like, you just got to be, like, able to do all that stuff. So I think, like, you know, the more we play, the better we get at that. Mm-hmm. And we bought a van, so we want to use our van. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Can we hear another song? Sure. Uh, yeah, this one is currently untitled, also on our uh, upcoming LP.
you put out an EP in 2016. How did, and you mentioned that you had written like kind of like 10 songs and two of those songs are still playing. What of those kind of early writing sessions ended up on the EP? Um, which songs in particular? Yeah. Um, High Ideal and Ponzi are um, the two songs that ended up on that EP. Second mm. track and the last track. And how was the writing process with your brother and, and Wallace different than kind of your previous band experiences? Um, I... It's it's hard. That's hard to describe. I, I felt we had more of an idea in the writing process. We had um, more of an idea in the beginning of what we wanted before we even had a lot of experience, you know, or, or a catalog, or, you know, songs with each other. Um, what it does have in common is the, all those bands were around for a bit, you know, and we got comfortable with each other and, and everything was kind of streamlined. And I, I feel like we're already at that at that process you know it changed a little bit when wallace was actually included in the writing because it was tim and i probably wrote like 10 throwaway songs we kept like two you know we didn't think they were throwaway at the time we tried really hard no one one ever does no 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 you don't know they're throwaway until later you gotta gotta be honest with yourself yeah yeah Yeah. this is good yeah like i don't think we've written any more songs for like five more years you believe that yeah we we just crushed it yeah man i mean we write a lot of stuff like for our, our record i think we had like it was like 20 plus songs to that we were like kind of trying to whittle down and it's a full length and we're redoing we're redoing uh one song from the ep high ideal and and uh and there's another like kind of like early one that we're putting on there um but there's like a lot of writing involved and i think us writing together kind of speeds it up you know um Mm -hmm. we know what we want you know um Usually it's like a bass riff that Wallace will bring in some bass riff and we're like, oh yeah, cool, let's, let's build on that. Yeah. And sometimes it's really bad, man, you know. But hopefully, hopefully we're like choosing the best ones, you know. And, and Wallace, have you been able to bring in any of your influences, your own playlist? Um, if you saw my playlist, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, not really. I mean, I'd like to think that like the stuff I'm bringing in and playing is somehow like reflecting off the stuff I do listen to that would make no sense like what's like one example like Sade is like my fucking favorite ever my bass is named Sade of course love her I love her (laughs) but obviously that makes no sense at all when I tell people that they're like what? But that's um, but that's the balance, right? That's like the other approach when you don't you are not raised with the same influences. Right. You're like, oh, and Chade is an influence of this band, but it takes it it takes it to it takes it to another perspective because you're not you're reinterpreting and making it new. You're not just copying. Exactly. Totally. Right. Right. I mean, I I should also say that that the most played music in the tour van is Toto, for sure. For sure. Like all three of us get down with like, Toto. Like even the deep cut B sides. Mostly, mostly just mostly the hits. the hits. Mostly the hits, but you know. But what a list of hits! What yeah, a list but of great hits! hits. Yeah. but like over and over it, and over. It's mostly yeah, Africa and Rosanna. Yeah, definitely <laughs> Rosanna. Like, it's, it's just those two songs because but the the tape player stuck and yeah, yeah. Well, the tape player doesn't even work. But that's that would be fine with me too. But yeah. it's I mean I think we've kind of realized that that may be like the musical peak of you know. Yeah, and and you've already mentioned it, but you're working on a new LP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're um, we're recording it with our friend Jeff Burner, who's who's doing a good, you know, he's doing. He's I mean, he's doing amazing, a great job. Mm-hmm. He's a great dude, and uh, and he's like making it possible because I engineered all our like early stuff, and and I just like that's really difficult. You know, it's hard to like remove yourself from the and, and you know take on the tech aspect and 
and you know be in charge of making the songs good so jeff is has like kind of stepped in and is like driving it forward and is just is totally killing it and um yeah we're almost there it's just like some vocals need recorded and uh that's about it amazing yeah and then you're about to hit up uh, some touring with our favorites crim streaker and some south by southwest oh yeah well yeah <laughs> We were. We actually might not be able to do South by this year because of the record timing. Um, and Grimstreaker, and uh, you know, I, they ended up they ended up not being able to do the like tour down and stuff, which which is kind of the thing with South by. Like South by is like so last minute and so insane that it's like you know like you make it if you can. You know, if you can, there's always next year. Um, but like the record is taking a little longer. We just we might have to make a choice between like prioritizing, you know, getting the record done the way we want it done versus you know going down to South by this year because we're going to tour a bunch this year also, and uh, you know I'm sure we'll be down in Austin and hopefully we can pull Grim Streaker out because they would be a fun band to tour with I think. Yeah. They'd be awesome. Well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song. But where can people find you? Hear your P, see one of your millions of shows. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, I mean, we're on Spotify and, and Bandcamp and all that stuff. Uh, we're playing, a, a, yeah, a whole bunch of shows. By the time this goes up, I'm sure there will be some shows in, in March and April and stuff. There's there's kind of a, like a loft party we're planning that, you know, mm-hmm. you'll have more details about. April 14th. April 14th. That'll be real good. Not um, dropping any hints. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should come to that show. It'll be fun. Um yeah, so you can find us on all the like you know the normal spots, and uh, and we just put out a seven inch that should be in like shops around Brooklyn and stuff pretty soon, uh, so that you can pick those up there or at our shows. Great. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Snacky Tunes. We'll be back next week with an all new one. What is the name of the last song you're gonna play for us? Uh, this one is High Ideal. This was one of the like early songs we wrote, and it's like it's kind of. Uh, it's changed in you know different iterations, and we're also playing more of a stripped down thing for this. So you're not you, you know there's some elements um, there's some elements in these in the recordings that you would hear um, otherwise. Uh, but yeah, this is an example one. This one's going to be on our LP also, um, kind of like re, you know taking another swing at it, see see what we get out of it. But yeah, this one's called a high ideal. Final question: If you could be any food or dish that represents Big Bliss, what would it be? Oh, food that represents Big Bliss. Oh, man. I mean, do we each get an answer? Uh, yes. Okay. You're um, you're all individuals. I'm not trying to be cliche, but it would be pizza, 100% for me. Perfect. It would be pizza for you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to go with cereal. I would do Really? A, yeah, like a good bowl of cereal, though. Like I thought you real hate cold cereal. Milk. What? Who told me they... I thought you... One of you told me you hated cereal because no, you ate you gotta, it too much a long time ago. Oh, well, that doesn't mean I hate the concept of cereal. Oh. I, I still love cereal in its okay. existence in the world. I thought so. you'd say Cheez-Its. Oh, shit. Cheez-Its. Um, it's like a bowl of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> like like sort assorted fruit. Like, you know, sometimes there's a lot of pineapple in it. Sometimes there's grapes, you know. The Corey more pineapple in it, the better, though, because that's <laughs> always the best like element of a mm-hmm. fruit bowl. Is like yeah, you yeah. Know, you, the pineapple gets. We're trying to put as much pineapple in there as much as possible. But, <laughs> you know. Perfect. All okay. right, cool. <laughs> Take us out.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.